Well, last week uh, we started working through Paul's treatment of Israel in 1 Corinthians. Um, as we uh, were looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, we noticed that uh, Paul brings up the example of Israel. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he was talking about or he's answering the question whether or not the Corinthians could eat meat which had been formerly associated with idols. And as he goes about addressing this topic and dealing with it, in chapter 10, he brings out the example of Old Testament Israel. And what we noticed last week in verses 1 through 10 is that Israel had all sorts of spiritual privileges. You can look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 1 through 4 and notice the word all is repeated five times that marks out all of the privileges of Israel in the Old Testament. But in verse 5 in our Bibles, we, we notice that although they were spiritually privileged, God was still not pleased with many of them. For in verses 6 through 10, Paul goes through four or five problems that Israel demonstrated in the Old Testament. They were immoral, they were idolatrous, they were presumptuous, and they were complaining in the wilderness. And so Paul brings out their example as well. And I suggested last Sunday that the reason Paul is doing this is he is encouraging the Corinthian believers to also be cautious in the way they go about using their Christian freedom. To be cautious about this topic of eating meat which had been formerly associated with idols. And that becomes really clear in verses 11 through 13, where Paul gives the purposes why he's using Israel. He comes right out and tells us. And so this morning, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, and the privileges of Israel in the Old Testament. Look in your Bibles at verse verse 11. It says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they're written down for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stand take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here in verses 11 through 13, Paul gives his purposes for using Israel. In verse 11, he says, these things happened unto them, Israel, because they would serve as an example or a type for us, the Corinthian church. And then he tells them in verse 11 that, uh, he, that these things were written down in the Old Testament scripture to instruct those who stand at the end of the ages. I think in verse 11 what Paul is saying is he viewed himself in the Corinthians at the end of the old age, now entering into the new age, the final age, the final days the coming age, and as people who stand at the beginning of the final days, Paul says, we better learn from the example of Israel. In particular, Paul gives two different forms this instruction should take. 
for the Corinthians. So if you're taking notes, you've got handout in your bulletin or you're doing so on a device, um, I want to start out by giving uh, these two forms of advice. And I think all technology is failing me today because my clicker is not working either. Okay, so uh, I hit it about 27 times, but nothing. So let's, let's just go ahead and blank it out. Let's just go ahead and turn it off for the moment, okay? All right, um, let me give you the first one here, the first way uh, Paul uses the Old Testament. In my opinion, in verse 12 in your Bible, Paul gives a warning for strong believers, once you look again at verse 12, based off the example of Israel, Paul says this should be our conclusion. Let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul uses the example of Israel. An Israel who had failed and died in the wilderness because of their lack of faith in God. He uses their example as a means of warning the Corinthian believers. And actually, according to the next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30, it might have been too late for some of them. If you look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, right across the page, the Bible says, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of the Lord, he's talking about communion here, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. So Paul is using the example of Israel burying their dead in the Old Testament to the Corinthians who themselves are burying their dead. Some of the Corinthians had abused the Lord's table. They did not recognize that this was a special meal in celebration and worship to Jesus. And so they were sick and weakly, and some of them died because of it. So the first thing Paul does in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is he warns strong believers about the possibility of failure. In your Bible, if you look down at verse 12 again, you see, therefore, let, let anyone who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. The word any here does describe, could describe any believer, but I think that Paul might specifically have the strong believer in his mind when he says this. The strong believers in Corinth thought that they were standing. They thought they were immovable when it came to the temptation to idolatry. But Paul says, you must be careful lest you fall. As we're looking through this text, one of the key things I think we need to recognize and, and figure out is what does Paul mean when he says, lest you fall. So if you're taking notes, there are four, four bullet points here. This could mean different things. Paul says, take heed lest you fall. What does he mean when he says, lest you fall? Well, some Bible students come to this passage of scripture and they say that falling equals losing your salvation. So for instance, Gordon Fee in his commentary said this, he said, this can only mean that the Corinthians too, as Israel may fail of the eschatological prize, that is eternal salvation. Okay, so Fee says, I think that falling means you're going to lose your salvation. 
However, that goes against the rest of Pauline theology. It does not mesh with what Paul says in other texts. And this text does not say that. It stops well short of saying anything like that. It simply says you'll fall. It doesn't say you will lose your salvation. Another way of taking the text, though, is to say that lest you fall means that Paul meant you'd be disqualified from ministry or ministry opportunities to the Lord. So at the very end of chapter 9, Paul talked about himself being disqualified. He didn't want that to happen, so he disciplined his body. He brought it into subjection so that he would not be disqualified from ministry. So some people connect it to chapter 9 and say that when Paul says, lest you fall, he means lest you be disqualified from some sort of ministry for the Lord. But I think there are better ideas. Others say that the words to fall mean to die. And I will admit that in the Old Testament context, when Israel failed, they died. And so this would be a very strong warning. If Paul says to the stronger believer, you better be careful lest you fall. Might mean to die or better yet, I think it means this. I think, I, I think it simply means to fall into sin. That's the fourth bullet point. To fall into sin or to fall in the area of temptation in the idol temple. I think it's this because Paul doesn't tell us the consequences of the fall. He simply says you're going to fall. Falling, failing spiritually can result in any, all sorts of different consequences, right? Maybe even death itself in some cases, but Paul doesn't say that. He says simply fall. And I think he's saying here that you might just fall into sin. So those who are confident in their own perseverance for the Lord needed to be on the alert lest they fall in this area of temptation. Now in the Corinthian setting, again, I remind you of where we've come from in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. For them, this is probably speaking of falling into the sin of idolatry or perhaps immorality at the pagan temple. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, there were some strong Christians, self-professed strong Christians who claimed that idols are nothing. They're just blocks of wood, Paul, or they're stone, they're inanimate objects, and meat is nothing. It's just animal protein. And Paul, we also know that there is only one God, so we can go into the idol meat and eat Idol, or we can go into the idol temple and eat idol, idol meat and be unaffected, unaffected by it. Paul says, take heed lest you fall. Even the most confident believers were to be on the alert lest they slip into, into sin. This was true of the Israelite generation. It was true of Moses himself as their leader, as one of the meekest meekest men who ever lived. In one moment, he failed. He struck the rock, and he was not allowed into the promised land. And men and women, this could be true of any believer. I've suggested that the main point that Paul is establishing in verses 1 through 13 is the principle of caution. We cannot use our liberty freely as if there is no way we could be impacted by temptation. And so let me ask you a few questions as we draw application 
to our own setting. I have two questions for you to consider this morning. First of all, do you feel Paul's sharp words of warning in verse 12? In verse 12, by itself or in its context, is a very sharp words of warning. I like how one commentator, Paige Patterson, described verse 12. He said this, listen, he said, There is culpability in every man. The best men who ever lived, our Lord accepted, at one time or another, deeply and keenly disappointed themselves. Can you relate? The best men who ever lived have disappointed themselves in the way that they live and how they have responded in the midst of temptation. At the very least, we must remember the main principle of the first half of this chapter is that we must be cautious and exercise a realistic examination of ourselves in areas of temptation. And so, do you feel the sharp words of Paul's warning this morning, brothers and sisters? Do you recognize and know that no person in the room yourself included, is above failing, falling in areas of temptation. So Paul gives this strong warning to the stronger believer, but then let me ask you another second, a second question of application. Second, have you personally failed to heed the warnings of a gracious God upon your life? Perhaps there's some some actually sitting in the room who have been warned by God over and over and over again. And yet we presume upon his goodness and grace. We do not repent of our sin. Come to him. Imagine with me the scenario of one of the Israelites who persisted in sin. And he somehow survived the judgment on the plague of those who ate the quail. And then he made it through the judgment on Balaam and the adulterers. And then the judgment on those who prostituted themselves at the golden calf. And then he somehow made it through the fiery serpents as well. Imagine it, one of the the Israelite people who made it through all of that, yet still decided to continue in their sin, only to be wiped out by God for his sinful heart and his lack of heeding to the warnings of God. Men and women, sometimes many of us are similar in the way we approach God and his warnings. So we hold on to hidden areas of sin despite God's warning. And we forget about his judgment and the warnings that he has extended to us. I mean, too often we fail as well to see the gracious warnings of our God and to note that God's warnings are designed to lead us to repentance. And so I ask you before we leave this first verse, are, there, are you in need of repenting of a sin as a follower of Jesus Christ? You better be careful lest you fall. Strong warning. Sharp words of warning. But then secondly, in verse 13, Paul does something else in the text. 
This is a little bit of the uniqueness of the way I would look at this passage. I think verse 12 is primarily directed to the strong believer who says, I got this, I got idolatry, no problem. But that verse 13, while applicable to all believers as well, is, is, is uh, directed specifically at the weaker believer. The weaker believer who, because of past and idolatry, feels that there's no way that he can be in a scenario where there's idol meat and somehow survive the experience without failing. And so the way I take verse 13, two, two points in the outline this morning, right? Second, Paul gives encouragement for weak believers. Encouragement for weak believers in verse 13. So look down in your Bible, right? We're, we're all about the text. Let's see what the text says here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In verse 13, I think we come across some of the greatest verses of comfort anywhere in the Bible. I mean, how many of you have come to verse 13 and asked God to help based upon this verse? Would you raise your hand? Okay, and those who don't, you need to wake up. Uh, Verse 13 offers great words of encouragement and comfort. And I want to suggest that Paul's comfort comes in two basic ways. The way he comforts those who feel weak in the midst of temptation is first by making this statement. Verse 13, first part of the verse All of us are tempted to sin. That's how I would interpret that first phrase. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. First Paul says, your temptations, weaker believer in Corinth, they are common earthly temptations. The temptations that they're going through with idle meat were normal temptations. In other words... Feeling strongly allured by idolatry and immorality did not make you unusual as a believer in the first century. It made you normal. These are common earthly temptations. And the point of the first part of the verse is that we all face temptation. We all experience them. No one is beyond falling into temptation. So Paul says, you are not the only one struggling with this particular temptation to do what is wrong. Remember learning this lesson years ago as a young pastor in Crosslands, West Virginia. As a young pastor, I was 23 years of age. And I remember right before a deacon's meeting, an elderly, godly man coming up to me, one of the deacons. So I was contemplating this. I, I would suggest, I think this guy was probably between the ages of 65 and 70. Someone I greatly respected as a man of God. And he came up to me and he said, uh, Pastor Brand, he says, I'm really concerned about something. He said, I'm really concerned about the temptation that the internet provides to, young, or to, to men in the church. To men in the church through, through the form of pornography. And I remember how I first responded. My first response was, I was thankful that he would be concerned for the men in the church this way. And I also thought, I remember thinking how sensitive it was for him as an elderly man to be in tune with a strong temptation that men might face in this area. But then he did something that profoundly impacts me to this day. 
He said, Pastor Brent, I am concerned that I might fall in this area as well. Would you pray for me? His humble transparency as a godly 70-year-old man made a lasting impression on me. And I realized that young men like myself were not alone in facing this strong temptation. All of us, all of us are tempted to sin. Perhaps it's a different struggle for you. Perhaps you are having marital issues. You're struggling relating properly to your spouse. May I tell you this? You're not by yourself. You're not alone as if you're the only person struggling with this. This is common sort of earthly test or temptation. Perhaps it's another area for you. You know your own area of temptation. We'll let the Holy Spirit put his finger on it right now. May I tell you, though, from Paul the Apostle, you are not alone. We're all tempted. If you feel especially weak in some particular area, join the club. Join the club. And so Paul reminds them, encourages them, the weaker brother in particular, you are not alone. We all face temptation. But then he gives another means of encouragement. I said there are two ways he encourages them, and it starts in the very next phrase. Look down in your Bible again. God is faithful. So the second way that Paul encourages us is with this statement. God provides assistance for all of us. Not only are we all in this together, we're all tempted. God provides assistance for all of us. And uh, he describes this assistance in the last part of the verse in three ways, in my opinion. First, he says that this assistance that God gives to us is supernatural. That's why I take the phrase, God is faithful. Those three words, we find a very valuable lesson about uh, being uh, faithful in the midst of temptation. And that is this, that God is the true source of spiritual victory in the lives of believers. The only way that our experience, that we can experience sustained victory over temptation is through the faithful provision of God. I liked how one commentator said it. He said it this way. Listen to this quote. He said, the central character of 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is God himself. And anyone who preaches this passage should focus on the graciousness of God more than the ability of humans. Basically he's saying, if I stand up here and I say a lot of words behind this microphone and I don't emphasize God's faithfulness, I've missed the point of the text. And so Paul is encouraging the weaker brother who feels like there's no way he can withstand this temptation. He's going to fail. He encourages him by saying, God is faithful. Paul had already made this point to the Corinthians. He had reassured them at the very beginning of the book in the introduction that he had a lot of hard things to say to them. But he says in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, but he will present you blameless before the Lord. God is faithful. It's giving the reason he has confidence that they will be blameless before the Lord. It's based upon God's goodness 
and faithfulness to, to us. God will keep us firm to the end as followers of Jesus Christ because he is faithful. I love one of the songs that we sing as a congregation. It's entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. I didn't know this song until I came here, so I'm thankful for the worship of the fellowship of Colonial Baptist Church. I recently, though, had the privilege of meeting the composer of the arrangement as we now have it. And what I really love, I love the whole song, but I love the first verse. Let me read some of the words to you. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Men and women, my success in facing temptations is not mine. It's attributed to God the Father. God is faithful. And so he's, he's encouraging this weak brother by saying, you know what, God is faithful. And then he continues to describe the assistance that God provides to us who follow him. If you keep reading in the text, I think you would see secondly that this assistance is also informed or wise, you might say. If you look down in your Bibles at this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, uh, verse 13, uh, Paul says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will, with the temptation, or he will also provide the way of escape. I want to look at those two phrases for a moment. You know, men and women, God is fully aware of our situation and the temptations that we face. And he offers us help that will work. He will never allow an impossible scenario to come upon the child of God when it comes to temptation. Now the text says it this way. The text says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability I want to talk about that phrase for a little bit. Tempted beyond your ability. The word ability, I think, could also be translated your powers. God will not put you in a scenario as a follower of Jesus Christ that is beyond the powers available to you to withstand. Now, some of you may say, I, it doesn't feel that way. Sometimes when I face temptation, right? I mean, sometimes we feel this. Sometimes we feel that we have no strength left to stand. And we wonder if God has abandoned us. Well, guess what? You're not the only one to feel that way. So I was doing a word study this week of the word beyond, beyond your abilities. It brought me to one of the only other texts in the entire New Testament where we see that phrase. Turn over just a few chapters to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to read to you, verses 8 through 10, and I want us to focus quickly here on what Paul says, what the Apostle Paul says about his own life and ministry just after this time. 
2 Corinthians 1 and verse 8, Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul was afflicted, he says, beyond his power, same phrase, beyond our abilities, We learned that God ordained this for him so that Paul might learn not to trust in himself, right? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you not only have your own abilities, whatever those are, to stand against sin, you have access to the ability and the power of God. The power that resurrected Jesus from the dead. And so Paul says, although when I was in Asia or Ephesus, I thought I was going to die. I thought I had a death sentence. I decided to trust in the one who could resurrect from the dead. God. And so men and women, I stress to you in this passage that God gives us abilities to handle temptation. Going back to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 we, we then learn that one of the ways he does this is that he provides for us in the midst of temptation a way of escape. You see that in your Bibles? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Go back there. A way of escape. I want to talk about the way of escape for just a moment because this is a, a bit of a difficult phrase for us. The way of escape could also be translated the way out. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond the powers that you have available to you to help you through the temptation. And he will provide a way out of it for you, weaker believer. I know it may feel like you're trapped in bondage to the sin, to the struggle, with no way out. But this text promises that God provides a way of escape. Leon Morris, the old commentator who's now with the Lord, said this about the way of escape. He said, the imagery here is of an army trapped in a rugged country which manages to escape from an impossibility through a mountain pass. He says, the way of escape is like the narrow mountain pass that someone finds in this valley surrounded by mountains, thinking there's no way out. There are other ways you could illustrate that, and for sake of time, I won't go to some of the other New Testament talks or texts that talk about this, but the main concept here is that God never places believers in a, an impossible situation where they are thoroughly and utterly defeated from their sin. It might feel like we're trapped in a valley surrounded by mountains, but then God gives us a narrow escape in just the right place. And so at this point of the outline, I'm simply trying to demonstrate, you know, God is not aloof. He's not surprised or ignorant of the sort of temptations that you face, but that he is wise. 
And so men and women, may I just encourage you for a moment about, about the goodness and the sovereignty of our God. You know, these are not just like intellectual things I stand up here before, behind the microphone and say. It's not just like textbook stuff. Okay, but what I'm saying is that we have a real relationship with a heavenly father who is faithful to us at every moment. And he's informed. He's wise in providing this exit strategy for us in the midst of temptation. Now, you may be here this morning having never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and having no relationship with, with this God. You feel distant or far away from God, from God. As I stand here and I describe the fact that this is about a person who loves us, you don't feel that. You don't know that. I encourage you that, you know, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's true that God is loving, he's faithful, and he's kind to help us, but God is also just. He's just. It means he's completely righteous. No sin can be in his presence. And so if you've never believed in the name of Jesus Christ, if you've never believed that Jesus came and that he lived and that he died and that he rose again for your sins, then instead of experiencing the firm, tender hand that I'm, I'm describing of God who loves us and cares for us and helps us and pushes us toward the way out of temptation, you would face the wrath of God. His anger turned against your sin. So I'd encourage anyone who's never believed in Jesus this morning to believe in Jesus and to repent of your sin so that you might also have this relationship with a God who helps you. He helps you stand when you have no strength. He holds you firm, even when your grip loosens. There's one other way I describe this assistance. There's one phrase left, right? And we want to do all, we want to do all the phrases, all the verses. Look at the very end of verse 13. The very end of verse 13, he says, so that you might be able to endure it or bear it. So the, the final way I would describe God's assistance to believers in the midst of temptation is to say that it is effective assistance. The purpose here of the way of escape that God pro- provides comes at the very end of the verse so that, this is God's purpose in giving you this narrow path to get out of the temptation, so that you might be able to bear through it. Endure it. Face the temptation successfully. That's the sort of God that you have who purposes that you will be effective in facing temptation. You'll do so for his honor and his glory. Perhaps you've been overtaken by temptation and are greatly discouraged this morning. I remind you, there is a way out. And it will work. God provides that for you. Perhaps your way out involves humble confession and transparency to God in prayer. Say, God, I know at that one point in the sermon, he's just said, like, you and the area you face. He didn't even say what it was, but it was like the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And I've got these areas of temptation where I fail. 
go to God in humble transparency and confession before him and say, God, you know me. You know my weakness. You know my temptation. Help me. Maybe your way out starts there. Maybe your way, way out also includes humble confession and transparency to another partner in Christ. Do you have another believer that you open up to regularly regarding your temptations? If you come to me for help in a spiritual struggle with temptation, that's going to be one of the first things I will encourage you. After confessing and admitting that to God, I would encourage you to find one person within this assembly that you can have the sort of relationship with that, that you would be open to them. I mean, this is how God designed the church. This is one of the reasons the church exists. God would call us to confess our faults one to another. And so if you do not have a relationship with one other person where you humbly open up your heart, I wonder just how successful you're being in areas of temptation. Because one of the means that God gives us to help in the midst of temptation and trial is personal accountability with other people in the body of Jesus Christ. Instead of these people looking at you cross-eyed, as if, what? He's a 70-year-old man? Struggling with this? They just might be impacted to say, temptation is common to all of us. Look at this person who wants to serve and please God. God's faithful to him. He can be faithful to me. Or perhaps your way of temptation might involve drastic reordering of your life and priorities. It might include limiting yourself in places where you normally fall. But be encouraged. God is faithful. He offers you supernatural, wise, and effective assistance. While caution in areas of temptation is important for any of us, God the Father is able to carry us through. Let's pray together and thank the Lord for that. Fathers, we come before you and we consider the teaching of your word. We come to a verse of warning and a verse of encouragement. Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, if there's anyone this morning who needs to be warned about their presumption regarding their sin, about failing into temptation, I pray, Lord, that I would not mute the warning, but that they would hear, verse 12, to the one who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. Lord, to the brother or sister in the room who should be encouraged, encouraged because they feel useless or helpless in the midst of temptation, may they be encouraged by verse 13 and your faithfulness and the way that you work and devise and orchestrate and plan things so that we might have a way of escape 
so that we'll be able to endure it. Lord, may we experience and know you more and afresh this week and your faithfulness. May we realize, Father, that you are a real person who cares and is concerned and loves us and who, uh, in some cases, with a tender hand will firmly hold us and help us through temptation. So if anyone needs encouraged with your goodness this morning, I pray that you would do that through your spirit. And then, Father, to any person who needs to repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ, we pray at this moment they might turn from being under your wrath and judgment and hell to know your faithfulness and love and goodness. May they believe in the name of Jesus Christ and turn from their sins, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.